Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, I get to continue our series today on Here Am I, Send Me, and it's part six. Uh, it's, the, it's the part in the series where we take a fundamental shift from the here am I and begin to focus on the send me component of our anchoring verse. And so for the last five weeks, we have been really discussing the need for us to recognize not just the call of God, which is found in his very nature, but also the proximity to Jesus that allows us to progress from hearing the call to stepping into our commission. And so that whole understanding, the New Testament reflection of follow me and I will make you is what we've been just traveling together, journeying together with for the last five weeks. If you didn't or have not had the opportunity right now, or maybe you're joining us for the first time to hear or, or watch any of those sermon series, you can go onto our YouTube channel or you can podcast them and get up to speed. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't been able to listen to all of them, it will really bless your spirit. Go and do it. Get up to speed. Because I know God is speaking to us in and through this series as a church collectively, the season we're in, um, and it's exciting times. And so with that in mind, we are heading towards the send me, or if not, we are now found in the send me component. This is the, the fishers of men. Right, this is the part where we start to reflect on the actual stepping into the commissioning of all the work God is continuing to do in and through us as we continue to make sure that our proximity to Jesus is getting closer each and every day. So let's read our anchoring scripture verse and then we'll get into it. Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, if you're following along. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Verse 5 says this, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Verse 8 says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. One of the great uh, privileges of being a parent is that you get to watch lots of kids' TV shows. It's phenomenal. Uh, to the point that you're completely out of touch with reality. And you're quoting kids' shows and wondering why no one understands what you're talking about. And I bring this up because I use this illustration a lot, and I don't know how many times, I couldn't count, like I don't have enough fingers and toes to count, how many times I've sat down with one of my kids, especially when they were younger, and put on a TV show and started watching it with them. And without realizing an hour would pass by, or even two, 
And the, and the interesting thing wasn't the waste of time essentially watching kids' shows. It's when, when you look around as a parent and realise your child's no longer there. <laughs> and you've been watching the kids' show by yourself for goodness knows how long. You just get stuck in the trap of bananas and pyjamas. Or what's the one with the dogs? Um, Paw Patrol. Bluey's new. I would watch Bluey by myself. And I say this because what I'm really discussing or wanting to, to highlight in our minds is sometimes we get so used to doing something in the context with others that it becomes almost like hypnotic to us, it becomes irrelevant or, or it becomes something that we do out of a rhythm or routine but we're really not in it for why we were there in the first place. Actually, the very reason we were there in the first place has left the building. And we're still just watching. And we're talking right now, and we're heading into that concept of the scripture verse of send me. And I love as human beings, of course, we want to talk about here am I. That's the fun part. That's where we get to sort of dissect what God is doing in our life and begin to allow him to deconstruct all our insecurities so he can rebuild us up. Of course we want that. But the moment we talk about the send me part is the moment just like I have been doing all my parenting life is that we sit down and we think it's for someone else, right? And it just becomes a part of the motion and we tell ourselves, well, I don't need to be a part of this. I'm just here because, you know, someone else needs to hear this. Someone else needs to listen or watch along. And we want to talk about the here am I, but now, right now, as a church, this is the hard part. This is the send me part. Because the here am I acknowledges where we're at. The send me acknowledges where God's taking us. And so as we go through this, as we journey through the next three, series, or three parts of this series, can I ask you, do not fall into the trap of just watching along believing it's for someone else. This is actually for all of us. This is the part, the great commissioning, that if we are to be able to say, here am I with true authenticity with God, a desire to see him move in our life, build us up from the inside out, then it is partnered with seeing the heart that he has for his people, his church, and every human being that lives on earth right now. And so... This is exciting, and we thought the best way to grab you and take you to your attention and make sure we don't lose it is to start this series on a story that takes place in the New Testament that is going to be something that is confronting. It's probably outside your comfort zone. It's probably one of those stories, if you've read the Gospels, you're sort of like, interesting, move along. But it's powerful. And it's, it's almost out of place, which makes it really interesting for me that it's an out of place story in the ministry of the most intentional human being to ever walk this earth. So if you are ready, let's begin the send me component of our series as we journey through the story of the demoniac. Mark 5, 1 to 20. For those reading along, I will read it. It's a little bit long, but it's exciting the whole way through. So that's good. Here we go. Verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region 
of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. Fun. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Ever read something like that and just have a mental picture? Like, like when we look at foods that we shouldn't eat and we're like, if you eat this, you will die. <laughs> Ever think to yourself, we definitely found out the hard way, right? Like, who was the guy that ate that mushroom to save us all? (laughs) And in the same way, when I read things like this, it says, this man lived in burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. That means somebody attempted with a chain (laughs) to tie a human being up because they didn't know what else to do with him. Isn't that a weird picture? Could you just imagine? Ever try to tie anything up? That didn't want to be tied up. Yeah, that's true. No comment, Andrew. That's a rhetorical question. Verse 4. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chain from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, Howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. Verse 7 says, With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, what is your name? When I was a kid and I would get in trouble at school, which didn't happen often. The teacher that would find out or, you know, who saw me do something disobedient or naughty would ask me, because not to, teachers don't know every student's name unless you went to a really tiny private school or you were homeschooled and you'd hope your teacher knew your name. <laughs> like if you were homeschooled and your teacher was like, what is your name? <laughs> Mum, it's me. But the teacher would be, what is your name? And when I read this, all I see is Jesus in his authority demanding What is your name? And the reply is amazing because it says, My name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again, Do not send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. We're going to talk about the cost of that in bacon. (laughs) The herdsmen fled to the nearby town. You do that. That makes sense, right? Like all our pigs just died. 
and the surrounding countryside spreading the news as they ran. Even that image sounds great. <laughs> he killed our pigs. <laughs> Who did he did? People rushed out to see what had happened. <laughs> I would too. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. That's an improvement. And they were all afraid. Still afraid, okay. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about this demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of the region and began to proclaim the great news and things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. What an interesting story. I love this story. I wish, like, if, I don't know why, like, when people, like, making movies from the Bible, they miss this one out. Uh, I just think it'd be great content for Netflix. Uh, most viewed biblical story of all time. It would be. Just think about that. The pig scene alone. There's a few things I want to point out before we sort of dive into this story and what we really know God is saying in and through it to us right now in the send me component. We know that it's important for us to understand that Jesus and his disciples are no longer in the Jewish side of Israel anymore. They're no longer in Jewish territory. They've crossed over the Sea of Galilee to a region governed by 10 city states that were affiliated as Greek. We know this by a few verses in the passages, but also by the presence of pigs. Uh, pigs were seen as unclean animals, and you wouldn't have found a herd of 2,000 of them, you know, anywhere in Jewish territory. They were seen as a defiled animal. These were common animals that pagans would often sacrifice. So the fact there's 2,000 of them for us right now allows us, within context, to go, Jesus has, for whatever reason, he has left the Jewish people to interact with Gentiles. It's also important to remember that the disciples have just got off a trip over that sea that was bumpy, to say the least. It's a famous trip, actually. It's the trip where Jesus is asleep. We all know that story. If you don't, it's great. It's a great story. But Jesus is asleep. A storm comes. Somebody got to wake Jesus up. Jesus wakes up. He speaks to the storm. He speaks to creation. The Bible tells us the disciples were amazed but also afraid. I'm going to discuss that in a moment, why that is such an important thought. They've just crossed the sea. They've just had their own episode in the middle of the sea. And now they've stepped onto the shores, wondering why Jesus has brought them there. And the first thing they encountered is a man possessed by legion. If you're taking notes, the first note I want you to understand right now, and what we're going to talk about, is that it's really important 
that we understand, we get our heads around, it's difficult in the West, that there is a cosmic spiritual battle going on over our lives. That there is an army, there is darkness that is bent on trying to pull you down to the depths in which they are condemned. In the East, this is not hard. In the Southern continents, this is not hard. I'm talking about Australia, I'm talking about Africa and South America. There's an understanding in Asia of the spiritual realms, but here in the West, we seem to put it in the peripheral or almost deny its very existence because it makes us feel even less in control. What I love about this story, and as we get into that whole send me, is that we're really discussing this overarching theme that it's less about the words you say in the send me component and more about the work that you display of what God has done in your life. But for this to begin, we must acknowledge what the battle looks like. And the Bible tells us that the battle is not with flesh and blood, but principalities of darkness. We see in verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him. With the shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of, mo- of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. What I find so amazing and what we should really reflect on in this is that the very darkness, those principalities, have no issue in acknowledging who Jesus is. There's no problem with them acknowledging who Jesus is. Now, in this way and how he does it and how he goes about bowing before, as much as it sounds like he is submitting clearly to the authority of Christ, it's actually twofold. Yes, one, he knows Jesus has the authority, but two, he's actually beginning to lay out a foundation for an argument or almost an attempt to intimidate Christ. And I know it doesn't read exactly like that from our Western point of view, but there's certain ways he's saying things in which he's actually trying to manipulate Christ. But he doesn't shy away from the reality that Jesus is the son of the most high God. He acknowledges that. And I think for us, when we talk about God, send me, commission me into all that you've called and purposed on my life, we first must and will always, each and every day, have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the son of the most high God. That the one that we follow The one that saved us, redeemed us, restored us, reconciled us is the son of the most high. This is the only thing we should have in common with darkness. This would have been such an interesting thought for the disciples. Put yourself in their position. You hop out, maybe a little bit seasick. Right? There's always one or two. Like, that was crazy. And then you're confronted with this, but you're confronted with the voices that you've probably never heard before talking to your master, acknowledging in him his divinity. And I love this because we see in John 8, 12, Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. It's not a surprise to us 
with 2020 hindsight vision. But for the disciples, honestly, they just hopped on a boat. They're still trying to discover in a full revelation who Jesus is to them and to the world. In theory, they're getting the concept that he's the Messiah, but they're still terrified because they just realized that somebody woke Jesus up while he was sleeping in the middle of the storm and he spoke to creation. The last time, and I kid you not, the last time anyone spoke to creation in Jewish recorded history was the great I am. And they just witnessed it on a boat. That's why they're afraid. They just saw one of the crucial parts of Christ's claim to divinity take place. And that was his ability to have dominion over all creation. And then they get off this boat and there's this demoniac. This means a man completely overrun by darkness and evil. And they're thinking to themselves, what have we got ourselves into? But there's a bigger narrative at play. I can't help but think when Jesus was preaching to the crowds on the other side of Galilee before he hops in the boat and goes with his disciples, that every step that he had taken, every part of his ministry up until this moment, even when he's preaching on the shores of the, of the, the, the Sea of Galilee, he could hear the cries and the screech and the torture of this man. Beyond the human eye could see, beyond the horizon, beyond the endless parts of water, he hears the cry of one. And the Bible tells us that he actually says to his disciples, let's leave the crowd and go to the other side of the sea. It's one of those picture-perfect moments where Jesus actively, as the good shepherd, leaves the 99 for the one. And see, this is... A mirror call, when we say, God, send me, it's going, hey, God, we want to see what you see. We want to have the passion that you have. We want, we've now acknowledged where we are. And when we read about Isaiah, he says, here am I, send me. If there's even a handful left to reach, if there's just a remnant, then send me so that we could preserve, so that we can make sure that the goodness of God is communicated, the nature and character of our God. And Jesus here on the, the edge of the shoreline, hears this man. He's got to have heard him. He's, he's God. Get in the boat, guys. We've got to check this out. Today, I just think more than ever, if we had to step into the send me calling, we have to acknowledge each and every day, the spiritual realms in which we operate. We are not building a business here. There's no business of church. The economy is that of grace. And what we are trying to uh, you know, operate in is the good message of Christ and his salvation. And it's what's happening in the spiritual realms that dictate what happened in the physical realms. And as believers, when we're saying, here am I, we're actually identifying where we are in the spirit. And when we've said yes to Jesus, we're redeemed, we're renewed, we're born again. We're now ambassadors. We're disciples. There is a war on right now. And it's over which side of eternity people will enter. You don't have to believe in it, but it still exists. That's just the truth. 
You might be watching along right now. That's a bunch of crock, whatever. You don't have to believe in it, but I'm telling you right now that it exists. You don't have to believe in gravity to feel the effects of gravity. You might not believe in the spiritual realms, but I can tell you each and every day you feel the effects of it, even if you wish to deny it. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a cosmic war going on right now, and you need to know that you're so loved that the battle is won. You get to step into that life of victory and freedom in Jesus. And before we go anywhere, before we can even step in authority, we first need to understand and recognize, just like the darkness does, who is the light of the world. Jesus asked 2,000 pigs to receive some demons, and they ran down a hill and drowned. There has been many, many, many great theologians that have attempted to explain why this is included. <laughs> like, why did Jesus not just send Legion back to where he didn't want to go? I'm not going to attempt to outthink these theologians. What I do know is that it does paint a really accurate and visual picture of how many of these spirits were afflicting this man that there was enough of them to possess a a herd of 2,000 pigs. So if at the very least Jesus did it so that 2,000 years later we would have a great visual understanding of what tortured, what plagued, and what has been robbing this man for a lot of his life. Now for those of you who are really interested, 2,000 pigs equates to 10 pounds of bacon per pig. Just bacon. We're not talking about pork or ham. It's a magical creature, pigs. That's 20,000 pounds of bacon that drowned that day. And if we were to look at cost of bacon here in Canada, that's just over $100,000 worth of bacon revenue. That's just today. I just told you that because I just thought you might be interested. It doesn't help the narrative at all. If you're anything like me, I just wanted to know. That's a lot of bacon and egg McMuffin meals. I'd lose hours thinking about that. The darkness will always acknowledge who Jesus is. It has no issue with it. But like I said earlier, Legion is playing a game. He is desperate to hold on to power. And even though he acknowledges Christ, how he acknowledges him is still but a game. Jesus sees straight through this. This is why scripture uses words that Jesus rarely gets associated with, like the word demand. Have you ever read through the Gospels and thought, whoa, when was the last time Jesus demanded anything? Wasn't it often things demanded of him? But in this scenario, for this one man that he crossed the sea for, he was willing to demand. My point is this, is Jesus and only Jesus. There's no, there's no two masters here. You can't serve both darkness and light. 
Such an interesting pass, part of the passage. Jesus asked the demon, what is your name? Everything we've said in Scripture is written intentionally. We cannot look beyond it when we look at this. We need to understand, what is your name? And he replies, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Many of us inside this man. This is the beginning of the power play. Because there's this thought, right? That maybe in our number, maybe in our strength, maybe in our multitude, we could possibly persuade him that this is not the time for all-out conflict. But they use words like, we beg. Don't send us to that distance place. Let's not have a scene right now. Let's not play this out right now in front of everybody, Jesus. We know who you are, but your time has not yet come, is essentially what they're saying. See, what I love is Jesus... Is fully God, so he understands exactly who Legion's name is. He's not asking because he wants to know, because he doesn't know. He's asking because he's allowing Legion the opportunity to step in line. See, what I love about this is that God, in its full, in the triune Godhead, would have created the angelic form of Legion before Legion's fall. What Jesus would have known in that moment was Legion's original name. Isn't that an interesting thought? What's your name? I know what you are. I know who you are now, but I want you to identify yourself. Isn't it interesting that Jesus literally says to Legion, hey, I want you to say, here am I. But Legion says, here am I. Please don't send me. Here am I, don't send me. He's selfish. He's wicked. For we are many. Many what? Many hurts. Many pains. Many voices. It's those hurts and it's those pains and it's those voices that Jesus heard from the other side. That's what he came for. And this is my thought, and I know we've been walking through this. How does this apply to send me, God? Well, it's such a multifaceted story, and often when you read something like this, you go, well, maybe I'm the demoniac. Well, no, that's not what we're talking about today. I pray to God that you're not the demoniac. You've been set free by the blood of the Lamb, saved from sin. What I'm saying is, is that this man, singular, was so important to Jesus that Jesus would cross the lake himself. And I think the question I'm really trying to get to is that if this man who's feeling so much hurt and so much pain and so much voices and he's tortured and he's spiritually restrained and there's a battle going on, he would really represent so many people we're so terrified to talk to, so terrified to approach. In many ways, and I think we've all been here before, so I don't say it out of judgment, he probably represents those that we think are so far gone, they would never respond. 
to Jesus. Therefore, we excuse ourselves from completing the send me component of the commissioning because we're like, well, it's just too hard. But when I read this, I see Jesus himself give us an example. He steps out of his ministry in a Jewish territory into a Greek territory. It's very out of place to have a one-on-one interaction. So his disciples who were still in the midst of follow me and I will make you, they had not been commissioned yet into their full apostleship. They're watching along. And so this is a story that we need to look at because as we've been crying out, here am I, and identifying the work of Christ in our life and, and, and making sure in our devotion and principle that we've got a proximity to Him, then as we stand close to Him in this story, we've got to look and we've got to say to ourselves, what's going on here that, that even the most exiled of man was still not out of the reach of Jesus? And I think sometimes we're so afraid of these worldly ideologies of how someone's going to think of us if we tell them we're a Christian, if we acknowledge that we contain the light of Christ, that we lose sight that everything bows in the presence of Jesus, including ourselves, but the darkness out there that plagues and that binds and holds people captive, parading them like slaves through their own life. is desperate to keep us afraid, desperate to allow us in the West to use some sort of equation to justify our inaction. Many hurts, many pains. Isn't it interesting that this man who can't be restrained, so powerful that he could break chains, still ends up being naked, living in a burial cave amongst the dead, self-harming with stones. What an image. If that's not an image of our world today, the lies of the enemy that says you can have everything you want. You don't need restraint. You don't need principles. You don't need values determined by a God that created you, that has a perfect plan for you. You get to self-determine. This guy could have done anything he want with that same strength, but instead, and we know it's true, it happens to all of us as we walk further away from God. We lose sense of our real identity. And we begin to live amongst the dead, but we'll do our best to celebrate it. But there's that internal battle. And if we've experienced it and we've been set free and we can cry out, here am I, send me, then the question is, why aren't we more passionate about those that are walking the streets of North Vancouver or of Squamish or of Surrey that are going through the very battle we've been set free from and we're still too afraid to say, send me. Send me. We have friends and family living in spiritual burial caves. And I love this. Every time someone in their human strength tried to restrain, in the hope that they would find some sort of peace in this person's life, he would break the chains, the physical chains. But Jesus comes along. Jesus doesn't put any restraints physically on the man. Jesus begins to reach inside and He begins to break those chains on the inside. 
He begins to speak to what was restraining him on the inside, what was plaguing him on the inside. I told you already there's a great spiritual war happening and this send me component requires us as believers, followers, disciples of Christ not to put that to the side but to put it in the center. And the reason I say put it in the center because in the spiritual realms we have the utmost authority in Jesus. It is our strongest suit. It is our strongest arm. This is how we are to lead the send me charge over the next few weeks is to realize though the world says, well, this person's hostile towards Christianity and well, they're upset with how Christians do this, this or that. It's but a facade to stop you from operating the exact authority God has given you. Hey, don't be afraid. Be encouraged. This should encourage you that Jesus himself showed us, took the time and showed us that even if the person you're talking to seems so far out of reach, so shut off to the message of Christ, that if you had the courage to keep talking, keep living, keep exampling the goodness of God, cracks would begin to appear. They will appear. Many of us, We've been set free for a long time. We've been in a relationship with Jesus for a long time. But I said we've been caught up in the business at church that we lose sight of those who are desperate for the message. And so today, can I ask you, when we go back into a time of worship, would you say, Christ, can you renew that first love? Would you fan that flame, that excitement, that urgency, the call, the commission? If the very nature of Christ is permeating in you, then you should look at this story and go, it's God's nature to chase after the one that seems so unreachable right now. Oh, they believe in this and they've told me that. You're still only looking in physical eyes. I love this part says getting out of the uh, getting into the boat they're all upset Jesus go away getting into the boat the man who was demons possessed begged to go with him but Jesus said no go home to your family and tell everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been so the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and to proclaim the great news Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he had told them this is a really we're going to take a bit of a flip here because I love this. One of the things that I know prohibits so many Christians from sharing their faith is that they think for whatever reason they've been called to be a lawyer for the gospel. But what we see here is that Jesus doesn't say, go and be a theologian in my name. He says, go bear what? Witness to what has happened, what the Lord has done here. See, this is what I love about our faith. We don't have to be the greatest academic biblically. We don't need to know every scripture off the back of our hand. What we do need to do is be able to testify of the goodness of God in our life. That's the real core strength in our send me message. See, our testimony is ours. It's between us and God. No matter what someone wants to deny they cannot deny your testimony and trust me they won't even try they'll actually listen go tell your family what the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been we're not lawyers we're witnesses the early church we love to think of the early church we know this is the truth they didn't go out to build a mega church of business 
They literally just went out to testify of the resurrected King and the goodness of Jesus, that what He said was true. He's been raised from the dead. He's alive. Our hope is restored. It's not about leadership. It's not about having everything. It's not about Pastor Ben doing it all or the church in its, in its structures, saving people and being a witness collectively, though that's important. It really is about fellowship and discipleship. If you have said, here am I, Christ, form me, make me, recreate me, transform me, sanctify me, then it's by the work that people see in, in you that God has been doing that will bear the greatest send me testimony anyone will ever hear. It's not about your words. It's about His work. That's what you need to take home right now. We can't be Christians who say Jesus is alive. Jesus has died and rose again for our salvation, but show no outward change. No change in character, no change in behaviour, no change in demeanour. We can't be of the world and then profess to be in Christ. Oh, we're in Jesus, but I still go out and I still party and I still drink until I'm out of control and I still sleep around and I still tell people one thing while I'm doing another and I still make promises, but then I deny that I made the promise and I, and I back, you know, backstab and I do whatever I need to do to get my... Pro- it's by the work of Christ in your life, the redemptive work testified by the presence of the Holy Spirit that allows us to go into the send me process with full confidence, full excitement. Because it's not about what we're saying, it's about what He's doing. We see in John 9, 24, there's a blind man Jesus heals and he gets summons before the Pharisees and they're investigating and they want to find Jesus guilty of a crime. And they bring this guy back for a second time that was, that was blind but has been restored. And they said to this blind man, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. They're saying, you give glory to God, not to Jesus, to God because we know Jesus is a sinner. And I love this man's response. He says, hey, whether he is or isn't a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. See, this is what I love is so constantly we're like, prove that Jesus is this, this and this. And we like freak out and we're like, I don't know. And why is the canon written this way? And well, there's all these translation issues. Someone read a, a Reddit thread and you freak out. And you completely hand over the send me authority that God's given you because they, they rattled off a brochure in front of you, but you got access to the scriptures. You got access to what was, what was the healing process of your spiritual blindness and you freak out. I've been there. I, I, I understand. I'm not there anymore. I don't freak out anymore because I realize that even if I'm under investigation for God, all I'd have to say is, well, once I was blind and now I was see, once I was lost, but now I was found. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. And watch, and you can't say those things unless it's actually happened. So when, when the blind man says, I was once blind, now I can see, he can actually see. 
when the demoniac begins to go home and begins to preach to these 10 cities, he's known as the naked man who would make foul screeching noises, who had abnormal strength, who couldn't be restrained, who wandered through the burial grounds. And all of a sudden he'd met Jesus and he was clothed and he was sane and he was set free and he was burdened with the message of a good God, a loving God, a merciful God. It was in his words partnered with the reality of death to life that that send me comes so powerful and what I love and we're going to end on this and we're going to worship with this thought is that the disciples hadn't been sent yet but this man is sent before the disciples isn't that interesting and I say that because the disciples were commissioned for leadership but it's not about leadership to bear witness it's about a relationship with Jesus you don't have to be a leader you don't have to be a pastor you don't have to be the most popular person all of that is irrelevant You just have to say, here am I, send me. Lord, send me, send me to the four corners of this earth. But start with my home. Start with my school, young person. Start with my university, young adult. Start with the coffee shop, coffee addict. Send me, Lord, I'll go. And my life will be a testimony. Galatians 5, 19, 25. It's the changes in your life. I'm not reading it yet. That is the most powerful message. But I'm going to read this. And it's confronting. And I know it's confronting. And we might have not heard or read this for a long time. Or maybe never. But this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit in your life. Galatians 5, 19, 25. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Live by the Spirit and let us keep in step with the Spirit. Why the demoniac? Why take time to talk about it? Why focus on it right now? Because at the end of the day, It is the change inside of us. And it's the passion and the character and the nature of our God partnered with our witness and testimony that truly makes us a formidable ambassador. A powerful witness. Great disciple commissioned to do great things. The challenge for us right now, fruit of the Spirit, is the sanctification process. Those are the attributes we should become more like the closer we get to Jesus. And the fleshly desires are crucified in their passion to their old self. Church, as we worship right now, as we talk amongst ourselves in the coming week, the challenge is this. As a church coming out of a pandemic in a hurting world, would you have... Not just the courage, but the obedience, the faithfulness, the urgency, 
the very nature of our God to go out into all the world and bear witness, just like the demoniac, that our Lord is a good God and He's merciful and He's worthy of all praise and honour. And in that testimony, when you tell your friends each and every day in every opportunity and every episode of life, I have no doubt you'll see the blind have vision restored, lost found, and the dead come to life. All because of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.